So, all right. So, Genesis chapter 17. We'll pick up in verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, shall, um, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. She, uh, shall, Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you as this uh, set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, 
and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins, that every that, that very same day, as God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in, in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And so, Lord, would you just honor the reading of your word this morning? Lord, would you go before us in this time? Would you speak? Would you minister, God? Just have your way in this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in, in modern times, you know, we, we define a host of different relationships by contracts, right? And these are usually for goods or services or for hard cash. But the contract, whether formal or informal, helps to specify the failure in these different relationships, right? But the Lord did not establish a contract with Israel or with the church, God created a covenant, and there is a difference. Contracts are broken when one of the parties fails to keep his promise. So let's say if a patient fails to keep an appointment with a doctor, right? The doctor is not obligated to call his house and inquiring as to where you were and why you missed your appointment. He just simply... um, He just simply goes to his next patient and perhaps asks his appointment secretary to follow up and to perhaps reschedule. You know, the patient may find it harder the next time he tries to see his doctor. He broke an informal contract, right? According to the Bible, however, the Lord asks in in Isaiah 49, 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, the Lord says. You see, the Bible indicates that the covenant is more like the ties of a parent to her child than it is a contract between a doctor's appointment. If a child fails to show up for dinner, the parent's obligation doesn't end there right? The parent's obligation, unlike the doctor's, isn't canceled. The parent finds out where the child is and makes sure that the child is cared for. One member's failure does not destroy the relationship. A covenant puts no conditions on faithfulness. It is the unconditional commitment to love and to serve. You know, and as we consider the covenant that God makes with Abraham in this chapter. You know, I think we also need to kind of consider where Abraham has been, right? So as we remember what Pastor Dean shared with us last week, you know, that, that um, in chapter 16, we note a couple problems with Abraham and with Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, right? You know, that Sarai lacked the faith in the promise of God, that she felt that she needed to take action herself, that she needed to help the Lord along. Hence, Hagar and Ishmael, right? Abram 
is heeding the voice of his wife rather than standing up for God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't heed the voice of our wife. But if that voice is lacking in faith, is lacking in the trusting of the Lord, right? If it's, if it's not responding in faith, there's a problem. You know, but what I love is as we come to chapter 17, the Lord is still at work, right? And so as we, as we work into our text this morning, there are six things that, that I wanna talk about this morning as, as related to our text. So if you're a note taker, there's gonna be six things we're gonna be talking about, six points, if you will. The first being the appearance of the Lord, right? The Lord appears to Abraham. Look at verse one, right? When Abraham, or I'm sorry, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. You know, as Pastor Dean mentioned last week, when we closed off chapter 16, right, that Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And now he is 99, right? So 13 years have passed between chapter 16, verse 16, and verse 1 of chapter 17. He's 99 years old, and the Lord appears to him. See, the Lord has appeared to Abraham four times so far, this time being the fifth time. But there's been a 13-year gap. You imagine, 13 years, and he hasn't heard from the Lord. You know, and I wonder sometimes, have we ever felt like that? Have we ever felt like the Lord's just been absent, just not, not speaking, haven't heard from him in a while. You know, Hebrews 13, five says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So perhaps if we're feeling like he's left, if we're feeling forsaken, perhaps that's how Abraham felt 13 years of silence. But the Lord is saying, I haven't gone anywhere. Ever wonder why it may feel like God is absent? Maybe not 13 years, but does it feel like there's something missing? Like he's stepped away or moved further away from us? Maybe he's trying your faith. Maybe he's tempering you. Maybe he wants you to strengthen your dependence on him. See, when it feels like the Lord has moved away, it's usually us that has moved, right? And we just watched Abraham last week operate in the flesh, not trusting in the promises of God. And perhaps he's moved away from the Lord a little bit and the Lord has appeared to him. It says, Abraham, I'm not done. I still have more to do, which brings us to the second point we want to talk about this morning. Not just the appearance of the Lord, but how about the commandments from the Lord? The commandments from the Lord. Again, in verse 1, we're moving right along here. 
um, the second half of verse 1. Right, the Lord appears to Abram and says to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. So God appears to Abram and as he appears to Abram after 13 years, he gives him two commandments. Any guesses as to what they are? There at the end of verse one, walk before me and be blameless. But before we get into those two commandments, notice what God does. He names himself. I am almighty God. El Shaddai. God almighty. You know, Shad means chest, or shadad means to, to puff up one's chest, uh, to display power, right? It's almost as if God is puffing up his chest saying, I am all-powerful. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the Septuagint uses the Greek word uh, pentecrator, which is almighty, right? But it speaks of he who holds sway over all things. So God is saying, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am the one who holds sway over all things. This is the first time that God uses this name. This is the first appearance of his name, El Shaddai. And I think it's significant based on what he's going to tell Abraham. Right, because Abraham's come to the end of himself and God is saying, I am almighty God. I am the one who holds sway over all things. Stop trying to go at it on your own. Stop trying to go at it in your own flesh. I am the one who is in control of these things. This is he who has appeared to Abram, the one who has his hand on everything. God Almighty. You know, as we live in this crazy world today, sometimes I think we can lose sight of that, that he is Almighty God. He is holding everything. He holds sway over everything, including COVID-19, right? He is in control and that we can turn to him and we can trust in him. And so the Almighty God, El Shaddai, says to Abraham, walk before me. Walk before me. It means to turn towards something. God is saying, turn toward me. You see, Abraham has failed to do this in the past, has he not? I mean, Abraham goes down in history as the father of faith, but he's not perfect, right? He's made his mistakes along the way, right? Going to Egypt, right? He lies to Pharaoh, right? Tells his wife, Sarah, hey, uh, just tell him that you're my sister. It might go better for us. Or we just came off of chapter 16, right? Abraham trying to fulfill the will of God his own way in his own timing. Ever try and speed up God's timing? Ever get impatient with how long God is taking? 
I, right? I mean, I look at the world today and I say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. You're taking too long. <laughs> but the truth is, is he's not. It might feel like it from our perspective, but God's timing is always perfect. He is saying to us this morning that he is almighty God. And that as he says to Abraham, he says to us, walk before me, turn towards me. You see, we're all going through something, are we not? I mean, we're all going through something in life, whether it's, whether it's physically, whether it's financially, whether it's relationally, right? Whether it's emotionally or spiritually, we're all going through something. And what that thing is in your life is probably different than what it is in my life, right? Abraham is going through something. 25 years ago, he received a promise from God and he's gotten a little impatient along the way. And God is saying, I am almighty God. I am the one who holds sway over all things. Abraham, I want you to walk before me. He's saying to you and to me this morning, Mitch, I want you to walk before me. Turn toward me, the almighty God. See, the way I see it, we only have two options. And they're simple. We can either turn to El Shaddai, we can either turn toward God Almighty, the one who holds sway over all things, or we can turn away from him. Those are the only options I see. Either turn to or turn away from El Shaddai. And I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna turn towards something, I wanna turn towards the one who holds sway over everything. Right? I want to turn to the one who is almighty. God almighty. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a very popular verse, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Right? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's what God is calling us to do this morning. That what is what God that is what God is calling Abram to do, to trust in him and let him guide him and direct him. But not only is he told to walk before him, but God also says, Abraham, I want you to be blameless. Blameless means to be complete, to be whole, to be perfect. Matthew 5.38 says, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What is the Lord saying here? I mean, are you perfect? I mean, I'm not perfect. I hope all of us in this room, all of us watching online can acknowledge the fact that we're not perfect. But God here is saying, Abram, I want you to be blameless. So what does the Lord mean when he says Blameless. Be blameless. I think practically speaking, it asks the question, can anyone lay a charge against you? Is there integrity in your life? Can anyone lay a charge against you? I was thinking of it this way. If you're late for work, and you're flying down the highway at 80 miles an hour, and you see those blue lights behind you, and you pull off to the side, 
and that person comes up, knocks on your window, you roll your window down, and he asks the question, right? Do you know why I pulled you over? Can he lay a charge against you, right? Abram's told to be blameless. Now, if you're flying down the highway at 80 miles an hour, you're not blameless, right? That officer can lay a charge against you. He can give you a ticket or even, depending on how fast you're going, right, he can even make you appear before the court. But I think also this could be speaking spiritually, right? Could be speaking of our position in Christ, that he has made us perfect. You see, I'm not a perfect person, but God sees me that way because of my position in Christ, right? Because we're not perfect. But in Christ, he has made us perfect. Colossians 2.10, Paul says, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We are complete in him. You know, but there's another potential meaning here of this word blameless. It means to, it means be perfect. It means be complete. But it also means to be whole. To be whole. The word blameless means to be whole. It could be that God is saying to Abraham and to, by extension, to us to be whole. That he's telling Abram, I want you to walk before me and I want total commitment. Abram, I want all of you, not just these parts, not just this area here. I want the whole of yourself. I want all of you. Is this not what the Lord wants of us? Is this not what the Lord wants of his people? Total commitment. That he wants us to give him every aspect of our life, all parts of it. We don't want to just hold back certain areas that we want to keep for ourselves. This is mine, and the Lord can't have it. I don't want to surrender this, whatever this is. And I think Abram's been doing that, right? He's been keeping things back. He's been looking at the promise of God, saying, how can I speed this along? How can I see this come about? And God's saying, Abram, I want you to walk before me and I want you to be blameless. I want every part of you. I want a total commitment from you. And when he asks for this total commitment, when he asks for Abram to walk before him, he gives him promises. This is our third point this morning. We have the Lord appearing, we have the Lord commanding, and now we have the Lord promising. The promises of the Lord in verses two through eight. He says, I will make a covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Look what Abram does. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. 
and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God makes a couple promises to Abraham, two of them here to be exact. Right, he promises that Abraham will be a father of many nations, and he promises Abraham the receiving of the land of Canaan. This is the third time the Lord has made this promise to Abraham. The first time Abram received this promise was in Genesis chapter 12. And then God reiterated that promise again in chapter 15. And now a third time here in chapter 17. The first time that Abram heard this promise, he was, it was 25 years ago. It has been 25 years. 25 years. Can you imagine God giving you a promise 25 years ago saying you're going to be a father of many nations? Father of a multitude. Notice his position in verse 3. Fell on his face as God talked with him. It's been 13 years since he's heard the voice of the Lord. But he hasn't forgotten his posture. The Lord speaks after 13 year silence and Abraham falls to his face, right? And God changes his name. No longer shall you be Abram, which means exalted father, but you will now be Abraham, father of a multitude. This is why Abraham is the father of faith, right? Because not without his mistakes, but he is 99 years old, right? He's approaching a century, right? 25 years since God made this first promise, 13 years since he's heard from God. But here's the thing. By this point, Abraham is empty. He's void of himself. Every effort he could muster hasn't brought about the promises of God. Nothing he can do in and of himself has worked. And Abraham's come to a place where he can only look forward to the promises of God. Because if he looks back, all he sees is his shortcomings. All he sees is how it didn't work and how he failed. And all he can do is look forward to what God has promised him. At 99 years old, he's looking forward at the promise of God. I mean, I'm not 99 years old. But I can only imagine when you get to that kind of age, you're probably not looking too much ahead of you, but more of what's behind you, right? (laughs) But Abraham's looking ahead at the promises of God. 
Second Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and what? And amen. To the glory of God through us. The promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Here's the thing. If we really believe that, then our lives, our conduct will reflect that. If we really believe the promises of God, if we really believe the promises of God are yes and amen, then how we conduct ourselves, the way we live our lives should reflect that belief. And we're gonna see here in a few minutes that that's exactly how Abraham conducts himself. That is exactly how Abraham is gonna live his life. So how do we do that? How do we do that? What does that look like for us? And I think first, and this is the hard part, it's waiting on the Lord. How many of you like to wait? How many of you enjoy standing in line waiting? Right, our whole life, our whole culture is about speeding up the process, is it not? Right, just rip through that drive-through, say number one, and off you go with your food. But sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. And I love what Isaiah says about this, right? Those who wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They shall not faint. So we wait on the Lord. Abraham's been waiting for 25 years. How long have you been waiting on a promise from the Lord? But we also need to walk by faith. We need to walk by faith. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. See, up until this point, I think Abraham's been walking by sight, right? Kind of looking to see what he can do about the situation. And that's why I say that we come to this point 25 years later, right? 13 years after Ishmael, right? Ishmael's 13 years old at this point, and Abraham's devoid of himself. Saying, I'm done walking by sight. It's time to walk by faith. Anybody remember what Pastor Dean said last week? This stuck with me, so I want to repeat it this morning. Right? Faith believes in the promises of God. Faith believes in the promises of God. Hope anticipates the promises of God. Faith believes it, hope anticipates it, and patience waits for the fulfillment of the promises of God. And that's the hard part, right? We joke about that, right? You don't pray for patience because <laughs> God's gonna give you opportunities to be patient, and we don't like that. But sometimes that's exactly what God is calling of us, is to be patient, to wait on him. And so let me put it to you this way. If we, as believers, if we can sit here this morning 
and say that we have faith and we have trust in God for our eternal salvation, okay? If we can stand here and say that I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my personal, as my personal Savior, that I believe that he went to that cross, that he died for my sins, right, to pay the penalty for me. If I believe that he went into the ground, he was buried for three days and rose again. If I can stand here and you can sit here this morning and say that you believe that he rose from the dead and he is seated today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. If we say we believe that and that my eternity is secure in him. Why do we struggle in having faith in God for the everyday things? If I can put my faith in something that important, why do I struggle in the small things, the everyday things of this life? Why is Abram struggling to see the promise of God when God Almighty, the one who holds sway over everything, has told them it will be? God has made promises, and if they are yes, and if they are amen in him, we need to believe it. And our lives, our conduct should reflect that. And I know it's easier said than done. Trust me, I'm preaching to myself as well. (laughs) But the truth is, is that's how faith works. We need to trust him. Notice the second thing that he promises. It's not just that Abraham will be a father of a multitude, but that he will receive the land of Canaan, right? This was also promised to Abraham earlier and is again reiterated here. Genesis 15, 18 says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So this would be roughly from Egypt to modern-day Iraq. The land of Canaan that they have never really ever possessed in its completion. But you know, here's the thing. To encourage Abraham's faith in the promises of the land, God repeated the promise a second time, reminding him that it is an everlasting possession given by an everlasting covenant. No one can take it away. No border of man can change the land that he has given his people. Regardless of where their borders may be today, in the eyes of God, it belongs to Israel. And there's going to come a day when they will possess it in its entirety. Why? Because the promises of God are yes and amen. That God has promised these things to Abraham and to his descendants. Well, we have to hurry up. We only have like 45 minutes left. So point four, you got time? I got time. We're good. Point four is the instructions from the Lord. The Lord has appeared to Abram, right? The Lord has commanded Abram. The Lord has made promises to Abram, and now he has instructions for Abraham. 
God says to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old, you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So the instructions from the Lord. The instruction is circumcision, the sign of circumcision. Question. Was it circumcision that made Abraham righteous? No, right? Back in Genesis 15, right, it says, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was Abraham's faith that makes him righteous. Paul makes this point very clear in the book of Romans. Romans chapter four, verses nine through 12 says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised? or uncircumcised, not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So Paul makes it very clear that his righteousness was the faith he had in God, right? And that that extends to us as well. So circumcision becomes the seal, the confirmation of the righteousness that Abraham had the righteousness in believing, having faith in God. It was Abraham's faith that made him righteous. And circumcision was the confirmation, the seal of that faith. And so too with us. Our faith in Jesus Christ makes us righteous in the eyes of God. And us living a circumcised life. That's the seal. That's the confirmation of that faith. Are you connecting the dots here on how this works? Right, if we're gonna have our faith 
in Jesus Christ and we're gonna believe on him for our eternal security, right, that that same faith, right, should be seen in how we conduct our lives. Abraham and his descendants would look different, right? So let's break this down a little bit, right? What is the point of circumcision, right? And I think there's two things that we want to look at, right? There's the fact that Abraham and his descendants would look different. They would be set apart. They would be marked by God for him and for his purposes, And so God tells Abraham to be circumcised, to circumcise Ishmael, to circumcise everyone in your household and all your descendants following. They should look different because they belong to me. And the same should be said of us. As believers, we should look different. We should look different than the world. We should be set apart, marked by God for his purposes. The things we do, the things we say, the places we go, the attitude that we have should look different than the world. John fifteen nineteen. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Philippians 3.20-21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. El Shaddai. He says you should look different. Abraham, I'm giving you this sign of circumcision so that you look different. So it would be a reminder to you and to everyone else that you belong to me and that I have made this covenant between you and between me. Do we look different to this world or do we just blend in like everyone else? See, the idea is that we should look different. We should be set apart. You know, but there's a second thing I think this means. It's not just to, to look different. It's not just to be set apart, right? But in a real practical way, it was to cut away the flesh. You see, Abraham has been walking in the flesh, has he not? Especially coming off of chapter 16, he's been walking in the flesh, trying to accomplish God's will his way and in his time. But here's the thing, 24 times in this chapter, God says, 
my will. You see, chapter 17 is not Abraham's will. Chapter 17 is God's will. It's God saying, this is what I'm going to do. These are my promises that I will fulfill. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to get there your own way. Stop trying to speed up the process. It's to cut away the flesh. This is to be an outward display of their faith and of their obedience to God. And again, Paul gives us great commentary on this. In Romans chapter eight, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit the things of the Spirit. And what God is asking Abraham to do, and by extension what he's asking us to do, is to cut something away, right? To make the cut in our lives. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And for us, that flesh, right, it's self, it's the world, and everything in it. And God is saying, get rid of it. Cut it off. Break free from it. Be separate from it. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12 says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And that's what I'm talking about, this circumcised life. What it looks like for the believer who has his faith and his trust in the Lord. That we should look different, we should act different. We should be set apart, marked by God, for his purposes. And real quick, before we move on to our, to our next point, notice real quick in verse 12, he says, eight days old. Right, he's asking Abraham to circumcise himself, circumcise everyone in his household, and every descendant after him. But every descendant after him gets circumcised on the eighth day. God makes a very specific pronouncement when eight days old, not seven, not nine, not instantly at birth, eight days old. We know today, right, that vitamin K isn't produced in the body completely until the eighth day. Vitamin K is, is the important vitamin in our bodies that helps with blood clotting, right, so you don't bleed out. And so God puts this this command in there saying, on the eighth day. Now here's the thing, we know this today, right? When, When children are born today, they're given an injection instantly of vitamin K, 
right? So it's in their body right away. But Abraham didn't know these things. Abraham just had to be, God said, eight days old, so we're doing it on the eighth day. And it's a small point, but I think it's an important one. Abraham would not have known that. He would just have to take God at his word and be obedient. Listen, sometimes God tells us to do things. And the fact of the matter is, is we don't have to know the why. He just wants us to be obedient. The why can come later. Listen, he's almighty God. He doesn't have to explain himself to us. But we do need to be obedient to him. Well, the fifth thing is the mention of Isaac by the Lord. The mention of Isaac. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. And then Abraham fell on his face again. Right? Abraham falls on his face and laughs. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. Not Ishmael, Sarah will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah, not Hagar, shall bear to you at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So not only does God change Abram's name to Abraham, but now he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. It's only subtle differences between these two names. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. But it's important, the difference. Sarai signifies my lady or my princess, which confines her dominion to one family. But when her name gets changed to Sarah, right, it becomes lady or princess, signifying that uh, removing the restriction, I should say, of the single family, right? Making her a mother of multitudes, not just one family. Same with Abraham. He's not just an exalted father anymore. He's a father of a multitude. And now here's what's kind of cool. In both Abraham and Sarah, God changed their names to confirm the promise he had given them. But also, in each of their names, he changes the fifth letter of their name. And he changes the fifth letter of their name with the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that simple change completely changes what their name means. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but five is the number of grace in the Bible. And I get the sense here 
right? That God is saying, I'm gonna do these things, but it's an act of grace, right? That God's grace is present in their lives. And Abraham laughs. But here's the thing. I don't think Abraham's laugh here is one of cynical doubt, but it's of rejoicing in something he knew was impossible by all outward appearance. He laughs because he knows this is something only God can do. Again, I think Abraham's come to the end of himself and he's like, I can't do this. God, this has to be you. Romans 4, again, Paul's commentary. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's the faith of Abraham. Right? He's not considering himself dead. He's not considering Abraham, past, uh, sorry, he's not considering his wife, Sarah, past child. By all human standpoint, she is definitely past childbearing years. But not with God. God says, she's going to bear a son, and you're going to name him Isaac. Anyone know what Isaac means? It means laughter. You think this is so funny? We'll call him laughter. You imagine Isaac in the backyard running around? Hey, laughter, it's time for dinner. Go wash up. His very name would be a reminder to them of God's promises. And God says, this time next year, Abraham, you're going to be 100 years old. Sarah's going to be 90 years old. But you will have Isaac, the son of promise. The son of promise that will bring about the Messiah. I know we are out of time. We have one more point. Just bear with me for a few more minutes. The obedience of Abraham to the Lord. I don't want to miss this this morning. Listen, God's timing is always perfect. God is seldom early but he's also never late, right? That his timing is perfect and Abraham has finally gotten it. He's finally come to the end of himself. He's looking forward to the promises of God and he is obedient. So Abraham, he took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. That very same day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the, in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. The obedience. And there's two things I'll say about the obedience of Abraham. First is that it was immediate. 
And second, it was complete. That Abraham's obedience was immediate and it was complete, right? No one was left out. No one was overlooked. It says several times in those few verses, that very same day. Abraham's belief in the covenant was proven by his immediate obedience to the command. Again, what we really believe will be shown in our actions, how we conduct ourselves. Instant obedience, Thomas Kempis said this, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. Abraham was immediately obedient and it was complete. It was complete. It says all the men in his household. Picture it. Just bear with me for a second and picture this. Abraham hasn't heard from God in 13 years. Right, he's probably struggling in his faith a little bit up until this point. Right, he goes into the tent or wherever he is. God begins to speak to him. Abraham falls on his face. Right, and God spends several, I mean, however long it was, right? God spends time speaking with Abraham about what his will is. Right, God is saying, my will is this. My promises are this. I command you to do this. I'm instructing you to do this. And God's finished speaking. Abraham gets up. He exits the tent, knife in hand. Right? And he comes out and he's like, all right, all men of the household of Abraham, I need you to line up. You're no longer going to call me Abram, but Abraham's my name now. I'm a father of multitudes. She's no longer Sarai, she's Sarah. We all need to get circumcised. This is what the Lord has commanded. And, and, and the reason I say it that way, and the reason I put that image in your mind is because not only was Abraham faithful, but the whole household. This speaks to the leadership that Abraham, Abraham had over his house. It tells me that they all had faith. They were all obedient. They all chose to sacrifice themselves in faith and in obedience to God. You see, Abraham didn't need to pray about this. He didn't need to grow or transition into this. God said it and he did it. It was that simple. And I think this is a wonderful example to us of what obedience from a great man of faith looks like. That his obedience was immediate and that it was complete. He did exactly what God told him to do. And everyone in his household complied. And so as we close this morning, what is God calling us to do? How do we need to be obedient unto him? What has he called us to? And I'd encourage you this morning, whatever that is, do it immediately and do it completely. And so, Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the faith of Abraham, Lord, the example that he is for us. Lord, putting aside his shortcomings, Lord, we know he had plenty. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have plenty too. 
but we can live by his example, Lord, and we want to. Lord, we want to follow after you. We want to be obedient unto you. And God, we want to make the cut this morning and live that circumcised life. Lord, where our lives, our conduct, the things we do, the things we say, the places we go, the attitude that we have, Lord, would bring honor and glory to you and would bring this dark world, Lord, to a saving knowledge of you. So God, would you go before us the rest of today. Lord, be glorified in our lives. And we thank you for this passage this morning. Go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.